This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm the spirit of Christmas who visits you at midnight and then ends up staying for breakfast. (laughs) Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Studebaker Theater in the Fine Arts Building in downtown Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everybody. So... So we have made it to the end of our 25th anniversary year, and now it is time to party. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. (laughs) But before that, we still have two more weeks to celebrate the fact we've been able to do this for a quarter century, helped in part because really impressive people keep showing up to talk to us. For example, Oscar-winning actor, Gina Davis. When she joined us in February of this year, she told guest host Tom Papa that she was a fan of ours. Hopefully, she wasn't just auditioning for the role of NPR nerd. (laughs) Gina Davis, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. I listen every week. And so I'm like really excited to be on the show. Oh, that's nice to hear. So nice to talk to you. It really is an honor. I can't. I and mean, when you go down the list of, of, of your films, I mean, there's such big, impactful films throughout your career. It's amazing. So this yeah, really... like Earth Girls are easy. <laughs> that's the top of my list. Pretty much all of your roles have been iconic, but we heard one of your earliest acting gigs was at Ann Taylor. Is that right? Yes, Ann Taylor, yes, in New York City. When I moved to New York, I I, uh, immediately got a job as a sales uh, clerk at Ann Taylor, and one uh, week, the the window in the front that's on 57th and 5th um, had mannequins sitting at a little like cafe table with with plastic food in front of them, and I was all dressed up in Ann Taylor clothes and, and everything. And I said, uh, "Hey, to my friends, dare me to go and sit in that chair?" And they said, "Yeah, yeah, go ahead, do it." And I got I sat in the chair, and so soon a crowd gathered because people kept saying. What are you looking at? I guess they thought they were looking at three mannequins. And why are you staring at it? And they said, just wait, just wait. Uh, as they figured I had a blank at some point, uh, which I did. And everybody went, Woo! Finally, the manager came because there was so much noise. And said, Jenna, get out of the window. But then she realized how many people had gathered. And she said, stay in the window. So, <laughs> so I, they hired me every Saturday to be a mannequin in the window. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Did you ever take a bite of the waxed food? I, I did not, but there was a restaurant on the third floor, and a handsome waiter came down at one point and brought me a real lunch and served it to me in the window. And <laughs> I, ended up, I ended up marrying that guy. <laughs> Is that true? Did you really? I literally did, yeah, yeah. He was the first man I met in New York. Wow, that's a power move. I can't tell you how many times I've brought food to mannequins just for that purpose. <laughs> I, I heard that uh, on Thelma and Louise, which featured one of Brad Pitt's earliest performances, uh, yes. you, got, you chose, you, you had a, a say in him getting the role. Um, right. Looking back, um, good decision? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I, didn't really, I didn't really have a say in it. I, I auditioned with five guys who were finalists, I guess. Right. And, but after we were done, and Brad was the, the last one, uh, and I was, uh, let's say I was dazzled. <laughs> so um, uh, I, was, I was packing my things really slowly could I, so I could hear what they were saying, you know, Ridley and the casting director were saying. And then I finally said, would you, it would be all interesting if I weighed in. Would you like to know what I thought? And they were like, oh, gosh, yeah, sure. What did you think? And I said, the blonde one? 
and uh, I don't know if that had any um, impact on them, but uh, but we did get the blonde one. <laughs> you know what I never understood about that movie? It's you pick them up on the side of the road, and then you go into this hotel, and you clear the stuff, or he does, or somebody clears the stuff off the dresser, and yeah. the sex scene begins on the dresser. And I don't know, I'm not a real sexual kind of creature to begin with, but there's a bed in that room. <laughs> and I just, it made my spine hurt, just thinking. And I thought, well, maybe that's what people do. Like, maybe you say to somebody, oh, I have a pool, we could drain it. <laughs> Did that ever bother you? No, it, no, it didn't, actually. I was thinking about that. <laughs> well, Thelma and Louise was was really an important, an important film in your career and also, also for the nation. And it really kind of, it, it really dovetails into what you ended up doing. I mean, you have this long career and then you launched the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media in mm. 2004. And really make an effort to make sure that there's more equality, more roles, more people working behind the scenes, and it's been a, a, a really powerful force. And that leads us to this show that you're, you're executive producing called Mission Unstoppable on CBS, hosted by Miranda Cosgrove. Can you tell us about that? That's right, yeah. Um, I was asked to uh, executive produce the show with uh, the Lida Hill uh, Philanthropies, and it celebrates women and girls in STEM. And I was really excited because my institute had done a lot of research about on-screen depictions of women and girls in STEM. And so now we're launching our fourth season. And uh, our show, we have guest uh, women from from STEM fields and and teach kids uh, unique things, such as that mushrooms can actually talk. Oh, they can? Evidently. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Gina, are you ready to play our game? I guess. Do you feel good? I mean, you've, you've done everything. You're good, yeah. at, you're good at everything you do, and you listen, yeah. you listen to the show all the time. How do you like your chances? Yeah. Oh, God. I, I'm, I'm terrified. I have to admit that I'm terrified. Perfect. <laughs> we have you right where we want you. <laughs> it's been great talking with you, Gina Davis, but we've asked you here today to play a game we're calling... Gene Genie. Sure, your name is Gina, but what do you know about genes? Answer two out of three questions correctly about blue jeans, and you will win our prize for one of our listeners. Bill, who is Gina Davis playing for? Christine Hall of Columbus, Ohio. Here's your first question. Blue jeans were invented in 1873, but they weren't called blue jeans then. They were called what? A, plowman's trousers. B, waist overalls. C. Strauss and Davis's reinforced miracle dungarees. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Did you say Strauss and Davis's? Yes. And that one is C. So. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, oh, God. Well, I'm still going to get it wrong. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say Plowman's uh, uh, trousers. No, that's wrong, too. It's the <laughs> reinforced overalls. <laughs> Waste overalls, that's right. <laughs> B, they were called waist overalls, which is a dumb name and an oxymoron, but everyone was too busy panning for gold to notice. Uh, I'm right there. Okay. <laughs> All right, you're doing great. <laughs> Here's your next question. Levi's jeans have not changed much over their history, but they did change what? A, they removed a metal rivet from the crotch because they would heat up and burn their customers when they sat next to a campfire. (laughs) B, they started stitching two curved lines on the back pocket instead of Levi Strauss's face. C, they added that tiny fifth pocket so that workers could break the ice with each other by asking, hey, what do you think this little pocket is for? (laughs) I'm going to go with pocket. You're going to go with pocket. I think that's a cute one. It is cute. It is cute. 
But it's um, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is A. They removed a metal rivet from the crotch because they would heat up and burn their customers when they sat next to a campfire. Oh, my God. Z- oh, it's awful. Okay. A zoo <laughs> in... <laughs> A zoo in Hokkaido, Japan, sells jeans in their gift shop. What makes the jeans so special? A, they're made of a blend of 80% cotton and 20% whatever zoo animals died last month. (laughs) B, they have tears in them because the zoo left them in the lion enclosure for a while. Or C, they are specially treated so the goats in the petting zoo won't eat them. Did they say B? I mean, that's what they're saying, yes. Oh, wait, but what was B? B is that they have tears in them because the zoo left them in the lion enclosure for a while. But that, I mean, that could happen once, but they can't always put them in the lion's den and sell them that way, right? (laughs) You're right, Gina Davis. B! (laughs) (laughs) They toss the pants in with the lions for a bit, then rescue them and sell them to you. Bill, how did Gina Davis do on our quiz? Gina, it was very hard. We're going to give you two out of three and you won. You're a special guest, and we love you. (laughs) Gina Davis, did you have fun on our show? We loved talking with you. Did you enjoy yourself? I did. I did. Thank you. Say goodbye to Gina Davis, Davis. everybody. (laughs) Gina Davis is an actor, author, producer, and activist whose show Mission Unstoppable airs on CBS. These old blue jeans got new dreams, shining like fireflies. When we come back, we try to make the most popular lobstermen on TikTok even more popular. We'll be back with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top-10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Hey, it's Peter Sagal. The year's almost over, and here at Wait, Wait, we are counting our blessings. After all, 2023 gave us George Santos, the Chinese spy balloon, the coronation of King Charles. I mean, really, so many funny hats. Here's hoping the news will be even easier to make fun of in 2024, but we could not do it without your support. This is where I want to say a big personal thank you to our Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Plus supporters and anyone listening who already donates to public media. Because, you know, we can't make fun of the news if there is no news, which is why we need journalists to cover everything in the first place. To anyone out there who isn't a supporter yet, right now is the time to get behind the NPR network, especially with our journalists gearing up for, you know relatively important election. Supporting public media now takes just a few minutes and it makes a real difference. So join NPR Plus or just make a tax-deductible donation now at donate.npr.org slash wait wait. And thanks. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Studebaker Theater in the Fine Arts Building in downtown Chicago, 
Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, everybody. One of the ways... Thank you. One of the ways we've been able to keep going for all these years is that our listeners come out and see us when we show up in their town. And sometimes, so many people, we put on two shows for them. That way, like your grandmother always advised you about snacks, we can save one for later. Last month, we visited Portland, Maine. And since we wanted extra time to recover from all the lobster rolls, we stuck around for another day. Here's both a bluff the listener game with panelists Brian Babylon, Amy Dickinson, and Peter Gross, followed by our interview with the hottest lobster fisherman on TikTok, Jacob Knowles. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Howdy. This is Dan McCarthy in Austin, Texas. Oh, I love a man who sounds like where he is from. <laughs> Are you from Austin? You're a, you're a Texan? I am. Oh, how awesome to hear. What do you do there? Uh, well, my day job is uh, you know, software sales. I'm in Austin. But otherwise, I uh, play unicycle football, and uh, I'm usually involved in some kind of wacky political campaign. Yeah, let me ask you about something interesting you just said. Political campaign. <laughs> um, no, wait. Go back. Unicycle football. First of all, that is the most Austin thing I've ever heard. Secondly, <laughs> is it what it sounds like? You play football on unicycles? Uh, we do, yeah. We play flackle. So we wear flags, but you can also tackle. Uh, it's uh, pretty wild. Right. So, so, and everybody is on a unicycle. So, like, the quarterback takes the hike, and he unicycles backwards, while the rushers try to unicycle at the quarterback, and the receivers unicycle. I mean, everybody, right? That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly right, yeah. Wow. It would be worse if he was like, actually, I'm the only one on a unicycle. <laughs> <laughs> to think of it, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Dan, welcome to the show. You're going to play the game in which you must try to tell truth from fiction. Bill, what is Dan's topic? Tattoos in the news. Getting a tattoo, it's a very important decision. The human body is a temple, so why not let some rando doodle on it? <laughs> now, this week, though, some notable tattoos were noted in the news, and our three panelists are all going to tell you about it, but of course, only one of them is telling you the truth. Your job, pick out that one, and you will win our prize, the voice of your choice on your voicemail. You ready to play? Let's right. go. Let's go. Here we go. First up, let's hear from Amy Dickinson. There are good tattoo artists, there are bad tattoo artists, and then there's Tatooine, an inker in San Antonio, Texas, who is the subject of the first ever class action lawsuit filed by disgruntled tattooed people. Highlights from the trial. A customer asking for a Beyonce tattoo on her calf instead got the logo for Bounce Fabric Softener. <laughs> Another who asked for a mermaid on her back got a picture of Herman Munster. <laughs> At least I think it was Herman Munster. She said, no mermaid looks that much like Fred Gwynn. <laughs> Other customers testified to a lack of quality control. One said, quote, I visited my mother and she asked if I had leprosy. The trial was over in an instant when the plaintiffs all removed their shirts, inspiring a summary judgment in their favor. But Tatooine, as you might guess, made very little money from his business, so in lieu of a financial settlement, he has agreed to let any one of the plaintiffs give him a tattoo of their choosing. <laughs> uh, a very bad tattooist gets successfully sued by his unhappy customers. Your next story of a tat tidbit comes from Brian Babylon. If somebody asks you your favorite song, sure, you can just tell them. But that's boring. Instead, why not have a barcode tattooed on your skin that when scanned with the phone, it'll open up a Spotify playlist and that song will play. People have gotten the Spotify tattoos to commemorate the first dance at their wedding or themes from their favorite TV show. But these people never anticipated the natural process called aging. When the skin sags and wrinkles, the barcodes become unreadable. So instead of a fun new way to play the song Pony by Genuine, it looks like an unusual rash. <laughs> people getting barcode tattoos that when scanned play their favorite song find they don't work once they start to age. And your last story of some interesting ink comes from Peter Gross. Friends describe Doug Stradley of Tipton, Missouri as unconventional and audacious and these days as the guy who got a Tim Scott tattoo right before he dropped out of the Republican primaries. 
Mr. Stradley is a political junkie who likes making splashy early political predictions and then getting a picture of his chosen candidate tattooed on his body. Doug gets real excited, his wife Marnie told the Jefferson City News Tribune, but then he picks people who no one else is excited about. Examples include an Amy Klobuchar tattoo from 2020, a Bobby Jindal portrait from 2016, and an actual size tattoo of Dennis Kucinich on his upper leg from 2008. <laughs> so this Tim Scott tramp stamp is par for the course. Did I mention it's a tramp stamp? It's a tramp stamp. <clears throat> Doug claimed he sensed his latest choice was in trouble when he was showing off his latest ink to his friends and no one knew who Tim Scott was. And he was even more certain after he got the words Tim Scott added to the image and people still didn't know who he was. <laughs> All right, these are your three choices. Which was the actual news story we read about this week? Was it from Amy, a Texas tattooist, getting sued by his customers for being very bad at his job and, in judgment, having to get a tattoo from one of them? From Brian, people getting barcode tattoos that play their favorite songs but finding that as they age, it doesn't work anymore? Or from Peter Gross, a man whose latest poor prediction, as immortalized on his skin, involved, now dropped candidate Tim Scott. Which of these is the real story of tattoos in the news? I think, uh, I think Brian sounds the most trustworthy with the, the barcode tattoos. He did. he did speak in a trustworthy way, and the audience agrees. So your choice is Brian's story of the people getting barcode tattoos to play songs. Well, to bring you the correct answer, we spoke to a reporter who covered this real brouhaha. About six years ago, Spotify came out with these codes. People saw this, and they started asking, can I get this as a tattoo? Yeah, that was Megan Graham, who wrote about this for the Wall Street Journal. That is the real barcode Spotify tattoos. Congratulations, Dan. You got it right. You won Brian a point, but you've won our prize, the voice of your choice in your voicemail. Well done. Thank you for playing with us today. Good job. Good job. Bye-bye. And now it's time for the game we call Not My Job. Speaking of jobs, lifelong Mainer Jacob Knowles has a fascinating one, at least according to TikTok. He is a fifth-generation lobsterman, and recently he has gone viral, posting videos about life on the water, his crew, the lobsters he catches, and the ones he throws back. But despite his 2.6 million devoted followers, he's still getting up at 3 a.m. to get out to the traps by sunup. We are delighted... He stayed up to join us now. Jacob Knowles, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you. <laughs> so so uh, let, let's, let's, let's establish your, your bona fides, as they say here in Maine. Okay. Uh, right. You are a fifth-generation lobsterman, your yep. father, grandfather going back. Yep. Right? So when you were a kid, did you, you know, watch your father go to work on the boat and come back, and you said to yourself, someday I want to smell like that? <laughs> <laughs> The smell, I do remember the smell vividly. No, it wasn't uh, particularly pleasant, but um, it's something I grew up doing and I got used to. Right, okay. And, and so let's, let's explore how this happened. So yep. you've been doing this for how many years? Uh, my whole life. Your so whole I, life. Yeah, I started on the boat with dad when I was younger. And then uh, as I got older and got onto my own boat. You got your own boat. So yes, you are correct. Uh, the captain of your own lobster boat. You got a crew of two. Yep. Right? You go out there, you're setting your traps, you're picking them up. Yep. And then uh, you had always been on social media, I understand, because, yep. you know, you're part of that generation. Yep. And, and it, I'm told it was a particular video that, that you put on TikTok that went viral. Can you tell me what that is? Uh, yeah, there was a few ones early. Uh, it, we kind of accidentally stumbled onto the educational side of things, uh, but the original viral one was uh, kind of the crew in the back, and we had a, a big eel, and uh, my stern man scared the, the third man with the eel, and that, that was like the first one that went viral. And then, <laughs> so, so you had a big eel, yep. presumably you would catch, yep. caught by accident, yep. and, and you had one of your crew scaring the other one. Yeah. Ah! Yep. And that blew up. Yeah, that was the first one. And then that, from there, we kind of tried to recreate it and then kind of stumbled on to the educational side of things. And now we've been educating ever since. Because it's, it's trial and error to yeah, what people it's like. totally and something that what? we learned as we went. You have 2.4 million 2. followers. 2.6. 2.6, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> nope. 2.8. 2.8. I just am tracking it right now. Well, uh, I'll just ask the question as basically as I can. Why? What are people? No, I, I mean, I know, I've really enjoyed them. I sat and watched them with my family all week. But why do you think people are so like attracted I, to your videos? Yeah, I think it's just seeing that we're having fun on the boat and, and shining a light on an industry that hasn't had a light shined on it. Um, 
it's a very old fashion industry, I guess, and social media is very new to it. It kind of got left back in time, so I think people enjoy looking. Well, when you that's look so at your cool. metrics, because I know that's what lobstermen do, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> do, do you, do, are you able to see which ones go bigger? Like, for example, I, I know in some of your videos, you, you pull out a lobster, a female lobster that's got eggs. Yeah. And you explain Those what that are very is. popular. So does that mean <laughs> when you're fishing, are you thinking like today's pounds and the money you're going to get for your catch, or are you thinking, give me, so give me give an me egg, something. give me something they'll like? <laughs> yeah. Uh, at first, it was it obviously it always was about the catch, and then as this thing progresses, it's it's slowly starting to go more towards let's catch something cool. Let's get. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, have three claws, yeah. please have three claws. Yeah. All I want is a lobster that can talk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do, yeah, do, so has anybody cool. ever asked you something I've ever, I've actually wondered about, which is, do lobsters, like, do they have personalities? Are they, like, aware? Can you pick up a lobster and you're like, oh, I like this one. I will not doom this one. No, I don't think so. They're very much like a bug. Have you ever caught, like, an albino lobster? Is there such a thing? Yeah, there's like a, a lot of interesting colored lobsters. Um, we haven't caught an albino one yet. We've caught some blue ones. Um, they come in a lot of different colors, reds and uh, orange, and they'll, they'll yeah. sometimes be split 50-50 down their back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was, yeah, that was that extremely was cool. cool. Yeah. What I, causes that? It's just I, a yeah, random... I don't know. I'm a lobster fisherman. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was asking Peter. I was... When I watched that video, I did. We found the, the, the half and half lobster. And it was also half male and half female. You can't even and, talk about that in Florida. Yeah, no. I know. I know. Are they... Okay, so when you're filming... Do you see other lobster boats like getting into your shot? Like, <laughs> like, rowing. No, yeah, right. Jacob, Jacob, what's up, man? Yeah, man. Just passing by. Uh, most, uh, so social media is so new on uh, in the lobster industry because, like I said, it's pretty old-fashioned. So. A lot of guys don't even have Facebook, so they, some of them don't even know what's going on. But <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it true that uh, I don't know? Is it true that lobsters used to be for prisoner food? Yeah, is that true? Yeah, back in the day, they yeah they used to wash up on the beaches and it wasn't even yeah fancy they weren't they then. weren't like a high class food back then. They, yeah, I bet all the prisoners were like, "Don't tell anybody, this is delicious, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> amazing." Oh my god, that's I why they're committing was... crimes because you can't get these outside of prison. <laughs> that's why there was that huge clarified butter smuggling <laughs> ring in yeah. Sing Right. Um, how hard is uh, it? Try to get, I'm trying to get a sense of how hard it is. So, like, if someone like me, say, a late middle-aged public radio host were to, were to join you on your boat for a day, how long would I last? A half hour? An hour? Half hour would be bold. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you do good. You do good. Perceptive. Well, Jacob Knowles, it is really fascinating to talk to you, uh, and we've decided to test you on something else, namely a game that we're calling... Here comes the airplane, open up the hatch. As a father of small children, you certainly knew what Bill was doing. Your job is all about lobster, so we thought we'd ask you about the other food you eat with a bib, baby food. Mm. Okay. Yeah, your kids probably just get lobster, but other kids, they get baby food. <laughs> Answer two out of three questions right, you'll win our prize for one of our listeners. Bill, who is Jacob playing for? Megan Moulton Cox of Alfred, Maine. All right. Ready? Ready. Here's your first question. Uh, baby food flavors have evolved over the years before they arrived at the standard peach, whatever they've got now. In the 1940s, one of Gerber's most popular flavors of baby food was what? A, chocolate, hmm. B, liver soup, or C, oysters Rockefeller? No lobster? No lobster. Huh. I must be liver soup, right? It is liver soup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Gerber advertised liver soup flavored baby food as having, quote, a pleasingly bland taste children like. <laughs> if the liver doesn't win you over, the bland taste will. Yeah, I know. <laughs> mm. All right. Uh, here's your next question. In 1974, Gerber, the big baby food company, tried to branch out from babies by producing jars of their pureed food 
but for whom? A, airplane passengers, B, wedding receptions, or C, unmarried adults? It's got to be airplane passengers. The airplane passengers' idea is like, oh, here's your meal, yeah. and you just spoon it up. Yeah. No, it was actually unmarried adults. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I guess that makes sense. It's, yeah, they were called, for real, singles. Aww. Gerber singles. How nice at the end of a long day of work to come home <laughs> to your... Small, you know, empty apartment. You're going to die alone. Here's the food you came into the world eating. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect right. circle of mashed peas. <laughs> All right. So if you get this one right, you win. You okay. know. Here's your last question. According to uh, reports... Uh, Ch- Gerber's chicken-flavored baby food isn't only good for babies. It's the perfect food to feed who? A, sick ferrets. B, healthy ferrets. Or C, ferret owners. I feel like ferrets are an awful specific pet. It's a, ferret, a very specific pet, yeah. I'm going to go with sick ferrets. You're right. Oh, sick ferrets. <laughs> yes. Bill, how did Jacob Knowles do in our quiz? Two out of three. That is a win. Something to think about when you're out to sea. Congratulations, Jacob. Uh, I don't like that grin. No. (laughs) No, I I have one last question for you. You've been fishing for a long time. Uh, Is there something out there that you you really have dreamed of catching, if you will, the white whale of lobsters? Is there like a goal out there that one day you're hoping that something will be in your trap? Yeah, the white lobsters are pretty cool. They're really? Like, they're, yeah, they're like all white. They look like they don't look real. They're pretty cool. I've seen a few. My cousin caught one and brought one in, and I got to see it years ago. Right. Amazing. Those are really cool. Have you ever seen a mermaid? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not a big deal. The white lobster. Yeah. 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 Thing that I'm really yeah. yeah. The mermaid comes up. You see if she's holding a white lobster. If not, yeah, throw <laughs> <laughs> Jacob Knowles is a TikTok star and a fifth-generation lobster fisherman here in Maine. You can follow him at Jacob underscore underscore Knowles on TikTok. Jacob Knowles, thank you so much for being here. Give it up for Jacob Knowles. Everybody. When we come back, my inner nerdy 15-year-old meets my outer nerdy 58-year-old as we talk to the real star of Raiders of the Lost Ark, Karen Allen, and music icon, Weird Al Yankovic. That's when we return with more Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from State Farm. As a State Farm agent and agency owner, Lakeisha Gaines is passionate about empowering other small businesses. In the last several years, there are more business owners than we can count. Businesses are opening up quite frequently. And I think that shows the need, the dreams, and the desires of the community to have the independence and to have the financial freedom that's important to them. The reason why it's so important to me to be out there to share information and to educate the community is because I know that a dream doesn't always help you to be successful. You need the competency, you need the wisdom, you need the knowledge. That's where we come in as State Farm agents. Our ability to be able to teach over 100 years of experience in this world to say, hey, we got you. You got this and we got this. Let's do it together. Talk to your local agent about small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. From NPR and WBEC Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Studebaker Theater in downtown Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. People, people ask me all the time who my favorite guest in the show has been, and, and I always say the same thing, and I mean it. It's all the people who I loved as a kid and got to meet later on as a grown-up. And with one exception, they have all been delightful. Who would have predicted Puff the Magic Dragon caught at January 6th? (laughs) This last year, I got to meet two more of my heroes. First up, Karen Allen, the star of Animal House and Raiders of the Lost Ark, among many other movies, very important to my early intellectual development. Naturally, Peter began by asking her how she came to be cast in Raiders. I was living in New York City. I went in to meet with Steven Spielberg, and I think one of the first things he said to me is, how well can you spit? Mm. That's what he said. He said, how well can you spit? Mm. And 
I just found it c- coming out of my mouth. I said, "Oh, I can hawk them with the best." <laughs> Hell yeah! Man. <laughs> that's that's I what, can no, hawk that's, a loogie with that's the, best the actor's response. <laughs> that's how you get ahead in the industry. How well do I spit? A how camel, camel ain't got nothing on me, friend. Why did he? Why did he want to know that? I don't know. He just. I think he was trying to say she was kind of a tough character. Yeah. We meet her in a bar. I hadn't. You know the. The script was very, very secretive. They weren't letting anybody read anything. When, and then when you were making the movie in like Tunisia and all the places you were, were you standing around going, so uh, when, when do, do I do spit? I when, <laughs> do you want me to spit on this guy, Steve? Is that a thing? I, so I, I understand I was not the only person who was disappointed not to see Marion return along with Indy in the first two sequels, if you follow me. Yeah. And you're in, and you're in the new one, which is I'm wonderful. I'm in the new one. Which is wonderful. And, and now that I know that, I'm willing to go see it, just so you know. <laughs> and how many snakes do they dump on you in this one? Uh, no, no snakes in, in my scenes. Right. And, and we need to go back, the famous snake sequence in the tomb, the, in, the, in the well of souls. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, those were real snakes. Those were real snakes. Oh Six thousand snakes. Yeah. What? Six thousand. Can you imagine? Were you like, um, could you guys CGI these? Or <laughs> you know what? It was pre-CGI, and they actually had a really, really primitive thing that they were trying to do. There was this electronic grid on the floor with all of these snakes. So they had this electronic grid of these <laughs> rubber snakes that went like this. <laughs> And, and from the, For the radio from, audience, Ms. Allen is doing a convincing <laughs> snake impersonation. <laughs> and from the very, very first time that they tried to shoot with it, it looked just terrible. When I look at the film, I can actually see, because the real snakes are on top of this grid, for, which for some reason they never pulled up. Right. They just poured snakes on top of it. But they sent out this call out to India and all over. We were in London at the time, and all of a sudden, all these snakes just started arriving. Oh my God. And there were three or four other films shooting at the Elstree Studios in London where we were, and the snakes would get off our set and go oh. onto other people's oh, yeah. sets. Yeah, oh. come crawling across a set out of nowhere. Yeah, that, ex- that explains the strange <laughs> snake scene in a room with a view. I never understood that. <laughs> Why they're sitting there in Tuscany and all of a sudden these snakes crawl by? But now I know. That's great. So if, if you run into a snake now, me? Do they recognize you? <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, so like, many. Yeah, basically. What about you, ladies? She's, she's very popular with nerds like me and snakes. <laughs> and the snakes are like, oh man, can I have a selfie? Damn it, I have no hands. I can't do it. Well, I was, needless to say, I was relieved when we left the snakes. I can imagine. Well, Karen Allen, it's so much fun to be with you. And we have asked you here to play a game we're calling. Ah, refreshing. The Washington Post ran a story this week about the invention of pink lemonade that was so amazing we used it to make a game for you. Answer two out of three questions right, and you will win our prize for one of our listeners. Bill, who is Karen Allen playing for? Will Kendler of Sudbury, Massachusetts. So if you... The usual rules apply. If you get two right, Will will win a voice of his choice on his voicemail. You ready to go? Here's your first question. The inventor of pink lemonade was named Pete Conklin, who created it after he walked off his previous job, which was what? A, professor slash archaeologist. <laughs> B, ice cream man. Or C, racist circus clown. <laughs> Well, gee, let me think. (laughs) I think I might go with Ice Cream Man. No, he was a racist circus clown. Really? He was. He was a circus clown with a very popular, very racist act. It was Texas in 1857. What do you expect? All right, you have two more chances. This is not a problem. Okay. I've lost all faith. I know. (laughs) After he quit the circus, uh, Mr. Conklin bought a covered wagon and started driving it from town to town, selling lemonade out of the back. It was a huge success. How many lemons did he go through that summer? A, one, B, 316, or C, over 11,000? Oh, my God. 
I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Darn. What, what, what's the answer that would be the craziest one? One. One is the answer. His lemonade was made of water, sugar, and tartaric acid with one, one uncut lemon dropped in the pitcher for appearance. And he used the same lemon the whole summer. No. Yes. Oh, my God. This guy. This guy. Wow. This That's... racist clown lemonade guy. <laughs> All right. Here's your final question. Get this one. Get this one. I have to go for the less than obvious Yes, answer. the less than obvious one. Okay. Uh, so he's like selling lemonade, he's doing okay, but then he comes up with a gimmick, pink lemonade. Way more popular than his original lemonade. In that first batch, where did the pink coloring come from? A, a mold that was growing on that one lemon he still had in there. B, blood, or C, a circus performer's red tights. Ooh. Oh, come on. Caught between the mold and the tights. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> I'm going to go for the red tights. You're right. <laughs> so he goes to make that day's batch of fake lemonade, and there's no water in the well. The only water he can find was water that a circus performer was using to wash her red tights. No. Uh. He used the water to make the lemonade. It tended up pink, and everybody loved it. Oh, wow. And because it all came out vaguely pink, or as he called it, strawberry. Mm. Mm. Tastes great. <laughs> Bill, how did Karen Allen do on our quiz? Two out of three. Karen, that's a big win for there you. There you are. Yeah. Congratulations. Karen Allen, everybody. You can see Karen Allen in Indiana Jones in the Dial of Destiny. Karen Allen, thank you so much for joining us. What an absolute joy to meet you. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how her team makes an impact. We always do what we like to think of as actionable science. So the work that we do makes its way to things like nutrition and physical activity guidelines for cancer.org, where millions of people come each year to learn about how they can better prevent cancer. To learn more, go to cancer.org. Finally, I was one of those kids who looked forward to hearing Dr. Demento play comedy songs whenever I could find the show on the radio. So I actually remember the day another fan who called himself Weird Al actually got Dr. Demento to play one of his parody songs. And then, about 45 years later, Weird Al Yankovic returned to another radio comedy show, Ours. Peter asked Al why he had chosen Daniel Radcliffe, of all actors, to play himself in his self-produced biopic movie. The first time I saw Harry Potter, uh, I, I thought, you know, someday that guy's got to play me. It's not <laughs> me. That, that 11-year-old boy, I can somehow yeah. see myself. He's going to grow into my doppelganger. It really is. And, and this is also true. You play in the movie the actual record executive who signed you to... Uh, your first record deal, right? Yeah, it was a very surrealistic out-of-body experience for me to be like Tony Scotty, the head of my record label, uh, yelling at Daniel Radcliffe playing me. Right. That was very odd. But, but the first time you laid eyes on Tony Scotty, did you think, someday I'm going to be you? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes. The first meeting. Um, I, and, so, and there are things in the movie that do not seem true but are true. So, for example... This traveling salesman shows up and says, Hello, sir, are you the man of the house? Would you like to buy an accordion? And that really happened. 
I don't think he was carrying an accordion with him, but he was offering accordion lessons. He was offering music lessons, actually, and uh, the choices were guitar lessons or accordion lessons. And my parents, being the visionaries that they were, they said, oh, young Alfred would love to play the accordion. <laughs> who, would, who would want to be the life of every party? Of course, accordion. <laughs> and, and, uh, but of course, and then, of course, the other impossible things, like you recording your first hit record in a men's bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, my, my Bologna, which was uh, released on Capitol Records in 1979, uh, that was actually recorded in the men's bathroom uh, across the hall from my college campus radio station because I was 19 years old I couldn't afford a real recording studio and the bathroom had these acoustically perfect tiled walls like everything sounds better in a bathroom so my first my first song was in fact recorded in a bathroom yeah and it's uh, do you like is there a plaque on the bathroom <laughs> there there literally is not even a joke there is a really next to the, the bathroom door saying that there really I, I kid you not there really is <laughs> um, do you ever do you ever get tired after all these years of being weird, Al? Have you do you ever want to be romantic, Al? <laughs> do you ever want to be dangerous, Al? Sexy, well, you know, Al. A, a, a few times in my life, I, I have questioned it. Like you know, it was a nickname that I gave myself, you know, back when I was a teenager, and it stuck with me for my whole life. And sometimes I wonder, like, why did I decide to like be weird out my whole life? Uh, but then I, I hear from some some kids that that are happy that I took ownership of my weirdness because they were weird or freaks or outcasts or didn't fit in. And the fact that there was this guy calling himself weird uh, was empowering for them and, and made them feel a little bit better about themselves. So for, and from that standpoint, I'm glad I'm weirdo. You know, I, I got to tell you, to be sincere for a minute, I was one of those kids, because like you, a little younger, I was listening to, I love the Dr. Demento show, and I love Tom Lehrer and all the guys you'd hear on his show, and I remember you showing up with my Bologna, and, and if only I knew that you were a young nerd like me, I would have felt even better about it. <laughs> oh. I wish well, I now you know. Now I know. Now it's, I know. It's not too late to be weird, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Great show. Great show. Well, Weird Al, it is always so much fun to talk to you, and we have invited you here this time to play a game we're calling Weird Al-Bama. <laughs> Okay. All right, you're Weird Al, but are you weirder than the state of Alabama? <laughs> Let's see. Let's we're, find out. We're going to ask you three questions about the Yellowhammer state, not including the question, what exactly is a Yellowhammer? Answer two out of three questions we do ask. You'll win our prize for one of our listeners, the voice of whomever they might choose from our show for their voicemail. You ready to go? Okay. All right. Let's Bill. do it. All right, Bill, who is Weird Al Yankovic playing for? Jennifer Reed of Los Angeles, California. All right. Oh, Jennifer, I hope I don't let you down. <laughs> Here is your first question. Alabama is proudly in the Bible Belt, which is why it is illegal to this day in Alabama to do what? A, serve red wine without a bite of bread at a restaurant. B, wear a fake mustache in church. Or C, not wear a belt while carrying a Bible. Okay, um... I'm I'm a little I'm gonna I'm between A and B, but I'm gonna go with B. You're right. Fake mustache in church. You're right. Yeah. You can't wow. do that. Wow. Apparently. Wow. The concern is that a fake mustache might cause laughter in church, and we cannot have that. Do that, not want that. No. Hold on. That that makes it sound like I couldn't just laugh. No offense, Al, at a guy with a real mustache. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Back to the game. Here we go. Okay. Okay. When Leroy Brown died in 1980, the governor of Alabama declared a day of mourning and a monument to Leroy Brown now stands in a median in downtown Eufaula, Alabama. The question for you, Al, is who was Leroy Brown? Was it A, the Alabama student who invented the beer bong, B, a largemouth bass, or C, the baddest man in the whole damn town? <laughs> Well, I was going to say C, because that sounds kind of obvious, yeah, but no. uh, that's just stupid enough. I'm going to say A. No, it's a largemouth bass. Oh! oh wow. Yeah, a fisherman caught Leroy oh. and was so struck by his character and his demeanor that he brought him home, and Leroy Brown lived the rest of his life in a tank at a bait shop 
where he became a local hero. So it was Bass, oh Bass, Leroy Brown. It was, indeed. <laughs> Baddest fish in the whole damn tank. That's okay, Al, because you have one more chance, and if you do this, you okay. win. Here we go. I just realized I did fake song parody in front of Weird Al. I'm humiliated now. I'm so sorry. I'm so, I didn't mean to do it. I'm... All right, Al, here we go. Last question. You get this, you win it all. Pressure's on. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, Jennifer. Sorry in advance. <laughs> a popular entertainment got so out of hand in the 1990s that Alabama had to formally ban it in 1996. What was this entertainment? A, bear wrestling, B, moss growing, or C, how drunk can you drive races? <laughs> Wow. Uh, <laughs> I, okay, all right. I, I am going to bet $8 a month in perpetuity <laughs> that it's bear wrestling. It is bear wrestling. Oh. He did it. <laughs> people would bring bears oh. into bars oh. for people to wrestle. Mm-hmm. Bill, how did Weird Al Yankovic do in our quiz? <laughs> it's weird, but Al, you won! Yay! Weird Al is a legendary musician and the subject and writer of Weird, the Al Yankovic story, which is truly hilarious. It is available on the Roku channel. Al Yankovic, thank you so much Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Al. Al. Take care. That's it for our second-to-last celebration of our 25 years in the air. <laughs> wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Godica writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our tour manager is Shana Donald. Thanks to the staff and crew at the Studebaker Theater. B.J. Lederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dornboss, and Lillian King. Our vibe curator is Emma Choi. Special thanks to Monica Hickey. Peter Gwynn is our belly like a bowl full of jelly. Technical direction is from Lorna White. Our CFO is Colin Miller. Our production manager is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillog. The executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Mike Danforth. Thanks to everybody you heard on the show this week, all of our panelists, all of our amazing guests, and of course, Mr. Bill Curtis. Thanks to all of you for listening. I am Peter Sagal. We'll be back next week. This is NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viking committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts.